right, Acts chapter 27, are we there? All right, Paul is on that final journey. He started out, if you have your maps there, uh, from the city of Caesarea on the coast uh, of, of uh, what was called even Palestine uh, uh, in the Roman days. And uh, he, is a, he is a prisoner. Uh, he is under the authority of Rome, though he has a, a uh, centurion that is overseeing him that has been very gracious with him. He seems to trust and respect uh, the Apostle Paul very, very much. And we, we, we kind of followed their journey from Caesarea up to Sidon um, and so forth. And they went to the island of Crete. You see kind of in the center of your map, that little island there. Uh, they were in a place called Fair Havens. It's the wrong season for them to be sailing. When wintertime hits, like October, uh, in, in that part of the world, the winds come down out of the north. Uh, the seas are, are very difficult to navigate, and we're going back 2,000 years ago. Uh, so their, their sailing vessels were nothing like we have today, no technology like we have today. But the Fair Havens was not a good place to winter um, uh, the, the harbor was not very deep. Uh, the ship would be, would be moored out uh, from land a great deal and they'd have to take a boat back and forth. And uh, that ship would be subject to the wind. So the sailors wanted to, to leave and uh, go to a place that's called Phoenix here, but it was actually Phoenice in Bible terms. Uh, and they wanted to winter there. If you remember in verse number uh, 9, Acts 27, 9. Now, when much time was spent, when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. He's talking to the, the sailors, the soldiers, everybody on board this ship, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Paul was not a sailor by trade, but he had spent a lot of time on board ships in his other missionary journeys. He understood the weather. He understood the seasons and all of that. Uh, it may also be that the Lord gave him insight and spoke to him and said, uh, this, this, this is not a good idea. You ought to stay right where you are. But they didn't believe him. Verse 11, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And they said, no, nah, we're going to be fine and uh, verse 13, we saw that south wind blew and it was nice. It was warm. It was gentle. And they thought uh, we're going to make this. It was a one day journey. It was about 40 miles. I'm, I'm reminded of Gilligan, Gilligan's Island, you know, a three hour tour. That's really what it should have been. They didn't get far, very far out to sea. Uh, you can see in the map and we're planning to go very far. And uh, they, they encountered a cyclone at sea. Uh, verse 14, not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. Um, it was what we would for, refer to in our hemisphere as a hurricane. Um, we walked through uh, part of this last week. Uh, they, they didn't see the sun or the, the moon or the stars for days on end. Um, and that's how they navigated in ancient times. And uh, because the, 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 the clouds are obscured by the, the, the terrible cloud cover and so forth, they had no idea where they were. Um, they, they, some of them, by, by what we understand from Scripture, thought they may have gone as far south uh, as the coast of Africa. They were afraid of the sandbars there. The Bible calls them the quicksands. Uh, they're lightening the ship in, in verse 
uh, 18 and 19, uh, casting out the tackling of the ship. And then we, we came last week to verse 20, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It has now become not just a dangerous or difficult situation, it is a hopeless one. That's a bad place to be. Um, uh, most of these soldiers and sailors are unsaved people. Uh, sailors by nature, especially in, in that time, uh, very, very superstitious people. Um, and they were always looking for why is this happening to us? Um, how many have heard the phrase of a Jonah on board? Going back to the book of Jonah, that we know he was the reason God sent to sea. As late as the 1800s, sailors were still very, uh, so superstitious that, that if they had a new crew member came on and then they went out to sea and something bad happened, they would automatically assume that that new crew member was a Jonah. He had brought bad luck on them. There were rec recorded cases where they made the guy they thought was responsible walk the plank uh, to get rid of that. And superstition ran high amongst them. So you can only imagine the, the climate uh, of fear and panic and dismay on board this ship. And the sailors have given up hope. The soldiers um, have given up hope. You can imagine the uh, seasickness and everything else that was a part of it. Verse 21, but after long abstinence, meaning that they've not eaten for a while, uh, probably can't. They're, they're, they're uh, seasick. Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. This is where we ended last week. And I mentioned, I've often said uh, jokingly that Paul's having his I told you so moment. Uh, and there might have been a little bit of that. He was human, but I really don't think that that was what was going on. Paul is reminding them that before they ever started out, he said, sirs, I perceive that this voyage is going to be a bad one, a lot of harm to the ship, to our lives. We're going to be in danger. Uh, I believe Paul's telling them that because he has another message for them and he wants them to recognize I was right. I was telling you, if you will, what God had revealed to me. Will you now listen to me? Here's his message. Verse 22. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. All hope that they're going to be saved is taken away. And now stands up this preacher. I doubt if he's in chains at this point on the ship. There was no point in that. But they know he's a prisoner. Sirs, uh, I exhort you, be of good cheer. There, there is a reason to hope. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. We're, we're going to lose this thing. But uh, you're all going to be saved. For there stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. The word angel means messenger. There are several angels mentioned in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the angel Michael uh, is the angel defending the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, uh, the one angel that's named, what's his name? Gabriel, and he delivered God's messages to Mary, uh, to Zacharias, uh, to Joseph, and so forth about the birth of Christ. Uh, there's one other angel that's named in the Bible. Can anybody remember his name? Lucifer. 
uh, was an angel. Uh, we learned that from the books of Isaiah and Ezekiel and so forth. But the name angel means messenger. Um, most of the time it does refer to an angelic create, uh, creature that God made, like Gabriel uh, or Michael, uh, but not always. Notice he says this is the angel of God, not an angel. The angel of God. And he, then he describes it, whose I am and whom I serve. Did Paul serve an angel? Who did Paul serve? The Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I believe this in the Old Testament, there were several appearances of the angel of the Lord, capital A on the word angel. And the context tells us that's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And so I believe it's the Lord himself uh, appearing to Paul once again in a difficult time. He says, saying, fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So you have this cyclone at sea. And in the middle of that storm, Paul realizes the closeness of the Savior. I think one of the verses that, that we take for granted more than we should is the promise in Hebrews chapter 13, for he hath said, I will never, what? Leave thee nor forsake thee. And the moment you and I got saved, we have a promise from God that there'll never be a moment where God is not with us. And he said, forsake thee, meaning uh, you might be down and out, but I'm not turning my back on you. You might have stumbled and fallen and messed up. I'm not going to forsake you. We have a wonderful promise from the Lord. And I believe that especially when we're going through our own particular storm, it's important for us to remember that uh, the Lord is right there. Look at a couple passages with me. Keep your place here. Go back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, another storm and another storm at sea. Verse 22, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. This time it's on the Sea of Galilee. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They're thinking, This is a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now, the disciples were, if you will, in the infancy of their walk with the Lord. They're beginning to understand who he was. And they're, at a, they're in a sea that, in a storm that they can't control. At least four of them were fishermen. They're used to being out there, but the wind is contrary. Uh, they're, they're, there's no way they can control this thing. And they're walking on the waves comes none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what storm you find yourself in, you will also find that the Lord is right there. Turn back to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 23. Maybe the most famous chapter of the Bible. We're just going to start at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So far, so good. I, I like it when the Lord's leading me through pleasant places, uh, green pastures and still waters. You, you just see a, a sense of calm and beauty and peace and, and joy here. But verse four, the scene changes. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And here's why. Read it with me, church. For thou art with me. Please never lose sight of that fact, that truth. God has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Everything might be going wrong all at, all at once and you don't understand and you're not even sure what to do. You don't understand what the next step is. You don't know what to say. Would you understand this? He's right there. You are not alone. You're never ever gonna be alone again. Uh, Psalm 46, Psalm 46 When I first got sick a number of years ago and I was in intensive care at the, uh, the hospital in, in Chesapeake, Virginia, um, I was there for a week, as, as most of you know, and uh, the Lord was gracious and spared my life, and uh, they, they moved me on a Sunday afternoon out of intensive care to a regular room. I did not know that um, uh, you weren't allowed to receive mail or anything from the outside world in intensive care, especially where I was. I was in a, a secure, uh, isolated room where everybody had to scrub down, wear masks and gloves and booties and stuff, and it wasn't even COVID. It's long before that. And uh, so uh, unbeknownst to Trina and I, uh, mail had been delivered to that hospital for us, and she hadn't come into the room yet, but a volunteer came in with a card and she said, Mr. Bish, I have mail for you. And she delivered me a stack of mail that was this high. And that's, that's not an exaggeration. It was literally that high. Um, it was from, from some of you. Uh, it was from family members. It was from people from the church in Jeanette, from the people in New York, uh, from, from churches and people from all over the country. I don't even know how they found out uh, that I was there. I was alone in the room, so I just started opening the envelopes and reading the cards. And to my amazement, out of a stack of, of cards like this, almost every card, not all of them, maybe one or two uh, examples that did not, but almost every single card had the same verse either printed by the manufacturer of the card or was written in by hand by whoever sent it. It was Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. I just melted as I sat there opening card after card and I found that Trina and Anna uh, came in a little bit later that morning and I had that stack of cards and I, I didn't tell her what I had discovered. I handed Trina the stack of cards. She started reading through them and she looked up at me um, and she was already crying. She said, every card has the same verse. I said, you noticed it too. Uh, what a wonderful thing that was for us. God is our, our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Acts 27, Paul said, the Lord appeared to me. Gentlemen, be of good cheer. Uh, don't, don't be dismayed any longer. This is what God promised. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. In verse 25, now we see the confident of the servant, the confidence of the servant of God. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Uh, they can't see the light of day. They have no idea where they are, how far off course that they've been. Uh, they don't know what, 
what land, if any, that they're near. Uh, this storm is raged and it's not done raging, but Paul's lost that sense of hopelessness. Uh, he's got that peace that passeth understanding. He wrote to the Philippians about it. He said, be of good cheer. He said, I believe God. I'm not worried anymore. God told me this. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Here's a man standing up with such incredible confidence from the Lord. We're going to see in a moment how contagious that became to all of these other people on board this ship. Um, and, and what a great statement of faith. In the middle of our storms, if we would just grab a hold of the word of God and those truths, God's not going to leave me nor forsake thee. So many promises. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Um, we could go on and on with the prayer promises God's given us rather than walking around stressed out, which I am so very good at. I've got a PhD in being stressed out. I'm a world champion warrior, but that's a miserable way to live. I know you don't ever do that. Okay. So I'm just telling that's the way I am. Rather than do that, why don't we just take a hold of God's word like Paul did and, uh, Paul didn't know how it was going to end. He, he didn't know where it was going to end, but God just said, you're going to make it to Rome and you're going to appear before Caesar and preach the gospel to Nero. And Paul said, God said it. That's all I need to know. And if you and I could just have that basic, simple, foundational faith, we would have a strength and a confidence and a peace to replace all of that stress in all of that worry. Keep your place here. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. I like to go back and forth in my Bible, tie scripture with scripture. Gospel of Luke and um, chapter five. This is early on. He's just uh, still collecting his disciples that will follow him. Verse one, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, another name for the Sea of Galilee. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets, uh, meaning they're done fishing. I, I learned early on from my father-in-law when we, we uh, got done fishing in the ocean, uh, before we went in the house and called it a day, we got the hose out and, and we washed down our rods and reels and, and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't do that. If I didn't do that, my father-in-law had some very choice words to remind me that that was necessary. That's what they're doing. It means the day's done. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. When he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Let's go fishing again. And let's go out into the deep part of the lake, which means you're going to have to sail or row for quite a distance to get there and, and uh, let down your nets. The ones they just washed, stowed, put away all that work they just bestowed. Verse 5, and Simon answering him said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. They're not biting. We've been out here all night long. And uh, it, it's time for us to go get a nap. Uh, we've taken nothing, but notice the end of Peter's statement. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I don't say how it's possible. We've been out here. Nothing happened. But if you say to do it, that's what we'll do. When they had this done, done they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. 
they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He wasn't telling the Lord to go away. He said, I just don't, I don't deserve to be in your presence. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of fishes with the, which they had taken. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm always working on plan B. Uh, well, if God's way doesn't work, maybe I can try this. Um, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Bible and I'm, I'm, God says, just trust me and so forth. Um, Peter said, it doesn't make any sense to me. We've tried this already and they're, they're not biting, but, it, but at your word, nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to do it. And he saw what happens from just obeying the word of God. And we got the word of God in our hands tonight, folks. And as we sail and navigate through life, Let's come to that place of saying with Peter, saying with the Apostle Paul, wherefore, I believe God. He says in verse 26, we'll go back to Acts 27 here. He said, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Didn't even say which one, uh, whether God had told him the name of it or not. We'll find that out in the next chapter. Verse 27, um, uh, please notice, when the 14th night was come, when a hurricane makes landfall, the damage is done in a matter of hours. Between four to eight hours is once that hurricane makes landfall, that's where the, the bulk of the damage is done. Sometimes they go out to sea and then they curve back in elsewhere, make landfall again. But once it hits land, it, all, it almost immediately begins to weaken. And oftentimes the day after a hurricane, we're talking less than 24 hours, the sun is shining. And other than the utter destruction that is everywhere, it's just an, any other day in that part of the world. There are 14 days. Hurricanes take a long time to form at sea. And uh, sometimes they're out there for weeks before they make that landfall. And they're in the middle of this thing, 14 nights, 14 nights. As we were driven up and down in Adria, that's the Adriatic Sea between Italy and Greece, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, not because they could see it. Um, they would have in this storm, uh, they would have been casting things overboard to try to measure the depth of the water uh, because they wanted to make sure that they weren't going to hit rocks or shoals or anything like that. Um, they didn't, they couldn't pinpoint where they were. They had no way to navigate that, but they would do it. They sounded and found it 20 fathoms. That's about 40 yards of water underneath them, about 120 feet. When they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So the water's getting shallower. That means they know they're headed towards land. Um, they, they don't know where it is yet. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to travel anymore that night. Remember, they've, they've straked the sails. They've cut the sails off. Uh, they are just being pushed by the force of the waves uh, and all of those things. Uh, navigation is really out of their control. But before they go any further with the water getting shallow, they put some anchors out, said, let's, let's just stay right where we are uh, till daybreak. Maybe it'll lighten up a little bit and we can get a better idea of some things. And... Uh, Here's where in verse 30, we see the criminality of the sailors. The Bible says, and as the shipmen 
We're about to flee out of the ship. They know the water's getting shallow, so they're near land. And they understand the direction that they've been going, so land is obviously in the direction where the water's getting shallower. And the sailors, they're going to abandon ship and let the soldiers, the other passengers, uh, just uh, fend for themselves. Uh, they were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat into the sea under colors as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. They pretended they were going to put some more anchors out, but their plan was, let's get out of here. You know what happened to the captain goes down with the ship type of philosophy? They're looking out for themselves. By the way, these are the same people that when Paul stood up uh, back in verse uh, 9 and 10 and warned everybody about the danger of sailing at that time, they are the ones who opposed him. They've heard Paul's message. Now, the angel of the Lord appeared to me. He gave me the message. He shared it with them. He said, be of good cheer. Uh, these guys are still opposing him. They're not willing to trust whatsoever. And they're, they're willing to abandon every single other person, uh, no matter what kind of harm it would do. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion, to the soldiers, except these abide, these sailors stay in the ship, ye cannot be saved. This time the soldiers believed him. Okay, they didn't before, and they, they're, they're probably all thinking, yeah, we should have listened the first time. We're not messing up again. Uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Um, then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Can you imagine all those sailors who thought they were almost home free, and the, the soldiers come along and hack away at the ropes, and their boat just falls into the sea, and you know it's tossed, and it's out of sight, and they're stuck on board the ship. Um, so the Lord provided for them while day was coming, uh, while the day was coming on verse 33, Paul besought them all to take meat saying this day is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. It's a long time without food, but they're in a panic. They're probably seasick. It's probably hard. He said, it's been two weeks now. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. When he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. When he had broken it, he began to eat. So it's been two weeks of fasting. He prays and he's, he's praying to the God of the Bible. You understand the Romans worship multiple gods, goddesses, and forces of nature. We don't know where these other uh, sailors and soldiers came from and what cultures and what uh, deities that they worship, but they're listening to a man who said, God appeared to me, told me that we're going to be okay. We're going to be saved. The ship's going to be lost, but we're going to be saved. It's 14 days without eating. And this man stands up and he's repeating the same claim. His faith is so strong. He prays. He's giving thanks. Do you ever give thanks for a storm? Do you ever give thanks for a problem? Did you ever consider that? Paul's being thankful in the middle of a storm. Most of us complain in the storm. Most of us gripe in the storm. Paul gives thanks and he begins to eat. And just please notice the contagion of Paul's spirit. Verse 36, then were they all of good cheer and they also took some meat. A positive, cheerful spirit is a very contagious thing. Once a month, I go to an amputee support meeting over at uh, Gaylord Hospital. 
And in the last few months, I came into contact with a man. I'll just give you his first name is Carlos. And uh, he, he uh, went into the hospital last May. And uh, he, had, he had had a heart attack at home. The, the EMTs had to revive him at home. Uh, in the ambulance, he died on the way to the hospital, and they had to revive him again. In the emergency room, his heart stopped, and, 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 they, and their words were, he died again, and they brought him back, um, and, and so forth. There was a, it was a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, they assumed from all of those times where his heart actually stopped pumping blood that probably he would wake up with brain damage if he woke up at all. And I, I've met his wife, and she's just a delightful, sweet, sweet lady. Um, and uh, to everybody's surprise, uh, about four or five days after he got into the hospital, he just woke up. He just woke up. And he said, I cannot explain this. He said, because I wasn't this way before. He said, I woke up and he said, I was smiling. And he said, I'm happy. He said, I have not had a, an unhappy day ever since. While he was in that situation for four days, uh, uh, whatever happened was going on with his heart, uh, put blood clots uh, down into his leg, and they had to amputate his leg above the knee. So one day he's at home, and the next day he wakes up after four days in a hospital. Not only has he had multiple heart issues, now he's missing a leg. Um, and, and he's sort of, he's telling his story at the, at the amputee meeting. He's got this big smile on his face. Uh, insurance is holding up him getting his, his first prosthesis and, and all of these delays. And he said, I'm not worried about anything. He said, God's got it all under control. And he said, so why, why worry? Worry's not going to help me out at all. And he's going on like this. And uh, let me just tell you, not everybody at these meetings is that positive about life and about being an amputee. And, and uh, sometimes it's, it's just a good place to vent and, and get some encouragement there. But I, I watched in that room. I already knew Carlos. He and I had been talking by phone for a long time. I knew his story and so forth. Uh, and, and I just listened to him and I looked around the room and there were probably 15 uh, people there, almost all of uh, us amputees in that room. And all of a sudden, I just noticed everybody in that room was smiling. Other than me, nobody had met him before. I had not met him in person, but we talked to him. Everybody was smiling. There's something contagious about a spirit like that. This is not just Paul having a happy moment. This is Paul rejoicing in the Lord. This is Paul with this confidence that he knows God's going to keep his word. And, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, these people got on board with him. And notice the, the extent of that in verse 37. And we were in all in the ship, 200, three score, and 16 souls. That's 276 people. So it's not just his little circle of friends. We know Luke is with him. We know a man named Aristarchus is with him. I can see those guys getting on board with Paul and saying, man, I'm glad you shared that with us and we've been praying about it with you and isn't God good? I can see that from them. But this is coming from the sailors who just tried to jump ship, leave everybody behind. This is coming from the soldiers. Um, uh, all of a sudden, uh, they were all of good cheer. They also took some meat. Paul's got such an amazing influence because in the darkest moment, here's a man who's relying on his faith and not his feelings. 
He's relying on, on the word of God and not on the circumstances he finds himself in. His faith is so confident that others are picking up on that. We don't know how many of them uh, may have gotten saved. The Bible doesn't record that for us. I'm just telling you that a good spirit is a contagious thing. Um, how many like being around a grump? Any takers on that one? Most of us don't. Most of us kind of, we, we, you know, veer the other direction or whatever. But there's just something about being around somebody uh, that's encouraging, uh, especially as a believer, somebody that's cheerful in the things of the Lord. Um, and, and there's just something about that. And Paul has got that kind of a testimony. What an example for us. Verse 38, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. Remember, this is a ship from Alexandria, Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. This ship was headed to Rome, and the wheat is how that ship's captain planned to make his money, maybe his fortune on there. And uh, there, there's just no reason to keep it there. It's bogging the ship down. They cast that out into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore. They didn't know where they were, but they could detect there was a creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the ship. Let's just drive into this creek. We may run aground, but at least we're not, on the, not out on the open water anymore uh, and we'll have a better chance. When they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves under the sea, loosed the rudder bands, hoisted up the main, hoisted up the main sail. So they're putting a sail back up to the wind and made towards shore. It's first time in two weeks they've used a, a, a sail. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. The forepart struck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. Part of them were probably relieved to feel that ship shudder, knowing that they had just made land. The other part is, but we're not on the land yet. They're in a place where two seas happen to meet. I saw a documentary about the Amazon River, uh, the largest river system in the world. And where it empties into the Atlantic Ocean, um, there is a certain violence about the water there uh, that once a month, uh, there's a condition that exists, and I can't, I can't get the name of it. It's in the native language of that region. Um, but everybody knows when they hear a certain booming sound, they know to get out of the water. They know to get their, their boats up on land if they possibly can. They know to make sure that they are up on a hillside because once a month where the, the waters of the Amazon meet the Atlantic, uh, there is a shift probably caused by the tides and the moon and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's like a tidal wave comes rolling in and it goes, it goes uh, uh, several miles up into the Amazon River. Uh, and so when you got, you got salt water mixing with the, the, the fresh water of the Amazon uh, and so forth, it becomes a very dangerous situation. That's kind of what they found it in. And the back, the rear part of the ship is broken with the violence of the waves. They're just hearing wood cracking and snapping uh, and all that. The soldiers' council was to kill the prisoners. Remember, Roman soldier was responsible for whoever was placed in their care. And if a prisoner escaped, the soldiers paid for that with their own lives. 
So the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. Turns out they're going to be on a little island. They're not really going to get far. Okay, but they didn't know where they were. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. Isn't it good? Paul had a good testimony with that guy. And that guy respected him, commanded that they which could uh, swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, someone bored, someone broke in pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. The ordeal is over. You understand God kept his word. From the very beginning, Paul warned them what was going to happen to the ship. They didn't listen. And the storm came upon them. In the middle of the storm, the Lord appears to him and said, everybody's going to be saved alive. The ship's going to be lost. And that's exactly it. All 276 people miraculously make it to land. And they look behind him and they watch the ship that they were just on moments before just dash to pieces and it's gone. Paul's, Paul's journey up to this point has ended. He's going to have to, he's going to, have to renew that uh, to get to Rome. Uh, but they're going to find out that uh, even in a shipwreck situation, God had a purpose for them. God had a plan. No matter what storm you go through, dear friend, please remember the Lord's with us. He's not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Don't let the storm cause us to take our eyes off him, to take our eyes off the word. That's not the time to start doubting God. That's the time to get closer than ever before and claim his truth. Let's stop there for tonight. Father, thank you for...